Good morning this morning. Um, I see some old, well, I should say familiar faces. I do see some old faces too, but I think the correct way to say it is familiar faces. Uh, it is such a blessing to be here. Um, you guys have been such a great partner for um, us as a ministry. Um, you know, really, Life Centers is an extension of the church, and we feel really connected to you guys. Um, Tommy Johnston is, uh, as you know, one of the most encouraging people to talk to. Um, so sometimes I call him even when I don't need anything. I just uh, call Tommy, um, and he is an encouragement every time. And so we look forward to him being back. Um, and I get the privilege of working with Marguerite. Um, Marguerite um, works in the centers. Um, they don't want me in the centers. Uh, they want people like Marguerite. And uh, my, my role is to be a support uh, to all those frontline workers. Um, today, after the service, um, they're going to give you bottles. And, and here's my instruction for this. Please do not bring it back filled with some liquid, like milk or something like that. That's not, this is not a milk drive. Um, what these are for is for you to put these someplace where you can see them. Um, and you're going to bring these back on, at the end of February, February 27th. But during the meantime, I want you to be praying over uh, this. This is just a reminder for that. Um, we need your prayers. Um, and when you bring it back, you can bring it back with uh, change or cash. It's specifically designed for checks, fit real well in here. Um, if you forget or don't want to do that, they have now have uh, the QR code so you can scan it and give online. Um, but Life Centers receives all its support from individuals and churches. Uh, we don't get any government funding. Um, sometimes we don't agree with everything the government does, and so we just kind of keep that separate. Um, before I... Um, before I talk to you today, I do want to uh, specifically reach out to a portion of the audience. And, and uh, the reason I mention this is sometimes when you talk about abortion, it can uncover old wounds. And we know that abortion is widespread. In the U.S., one in five women, by the time they reach age 30, has had an abortion, Right? And we know that there's a man connected for every one of those. And we know it's inside the church and outside the church. But I want to remind us that Christ covers that, right? The cross, his sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay for every type of sin. And so there is no condemnation for those who have Christ Jesus. And certainly no one from any organization should ever be casting the first stone, so to speak, right? You are forgiven, and you can be set free from that. And we actually have a ministry as part of Life Centers that that is their goal. It's not only for someone to feel forgiven but set free. It's called SOAR, Spiritually Oriented Abortion Recovery. We have that for women. We have it for men. We have it for couples. Um, so I just want those um, who are hearing my voice and are in that situation to know that I don't condemn you for, for what you've done. I don't, if, if Christ doesn't condemn you, how can I? So um, I want to start off 
uh, by explaining a little bit about what Life Centers is, because I've been talking about it, and maybe you don't know. We used to be called Crisis Pregnancy Centers. Um, we're a group of six pregnancy centers around central Indiana. And as I said, we're an extension of the church in the aspect that we're trying to meet with young women who are considering abortion. And our goal is that they choose something other than abortion, right? And we love on them and, and try and provide them with hope and compassion. We do that through a myriad of services. We do free pregnancy tests. Everything we do is free. We don't, we don't have cash registers in our centers. Uh, this isn't a for-profit thing. But we, we uh, provide pregnancy tests. We do ultrasounds. We do peer-to-peer uh, -peer counseling. We provide diapers and wipes and um, baby clothes and uh, pack and plays when we have them and all kinds of things. It's amazing to see. They've done, they've done studies, and 75% of women who end up choosing abortion say that there was a financial component involved in it. So we want to meet them wherever they are and help them however we can. I want to share a story about uh, this happened a couple of years ago. Um, we had somebody who was 16 years old and she was pregnant at her downtown center. And they called me to come to the downtown center. Now they don't call me to come to the downtown center very often because they don't want me like dealing with clients. I do the wrong things. I last week I handed out the wrong forms to some young lady uh, when I was uh, visiting. So they called me down there because there was a 16-year-old girl. She had decided after talking to one of our center staff that she wanted to keep the baby. She did not want to go through with an abortion. And our um, part of our role is to advocate for those who want to keep their children and help them find because a, a parent shouldn't be able to force a child to have an abortion. Um, but her father felt differently and he was very passionate about it and he had gotten physical with one of our staff members. And so they called me down there because they knew I was intimidating and that as soon as this guy saw me, he was going to run for the hills. So um, you don't have to laugh at that. really. But, uh, so I went down there and um, sure enough, it worked. The father didn't come in. It, I'm sure this was planned ahead of time, but he just dropped them off at the front door. He dropped off this 16-year-old girl. He dropped off her mother and her grandmother. And they were coming back for an ultrasound, and they went to the ultrasound room. And um, there was, after a while, I heard a gasp, and, and I heard, oh, it's a baby. And there was a realization at that point of what was going on inside. There was, that machine had allowed them to peer in and see the truth of what was going on inside that young girl. And from that point forward, there was never any question, there was never pressure for an abortion. That family uh, rallied around that young girl. And uh, we actually had the privilege of being part of a baby shower for her. Imagine the difference going from that to a baby shower. And that mother and that grandmother were able to stand up with that young girl. Now, what we learned in later was that this mother, when she was 16, the mother of this 16-year-old, she'd had an abortion. And so this was a generational thing that was happening in their family that got stopped right there. And so when we look at the problem of, of abortion in our society, in our culture, in our world, 
What we need is to readjust our eyes, to see differently what's going on inside. And let me put this up. Now, I promise by the end of this, this will be upbeat, but I'm going to start low. It's going to be a gradual ascent. Uh, so this number that's on the screen is from the World Health Organization, okay? So this is all the people in the world. Every year, 56 to 58 million people die in the world. This is all causes. So you've got cancer, war, suicide, viruses, all of that, heart disease, it's all lumped into that one number. This is the cumulative number. You notice I put an asterisk on there because one thing that is not counted in that number is abortions. The World Health Organization doesn't count abortions in that number. There is a group that does count that number. It's called the Guttmacher Institute. They're a group, an extension, a research group of Planned Parenthood. And they put out numbers uh, on total number of abortions worldwide. And what they try to promote with their number is that we need more access to abortion. Now I'm gonna put the number of abortions that are done annually in the world up and you tell me whether we need more access to abortion. There are 42 million abortions done in our world annually. It's 42 million lives that are intentionally stopped before they are born. Now we can look at that number and that can be overwhelming. But one way to think of it, another way to break it down is for every three and a half babies that are born, there's one that's aborted. So that is a large number. And what you have when you look at a number like that is you don't have a political issue. You don't have an education issue. You have a worldview issue. You have an issue where people have a bad theology. What I mean by that is how do we view God, who God is, what he has the right to do, what he can say about us, and how do we the, the term I'm using as a placeholder is biblical anthropology. So what does the Bible say about man? What does God say about us? We have a bad biblical anthropology. We have a bad theology. So we're going to go to scripture and we're going to look at what God says about life that's not only born, but life before it's born. And we're going to take a look at that. So in Jeremiah, it says, uh, and this is the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, when, when uh, he's saying that to Jeremiah, he's saying three important things at the beginning, and then some specific things at the end. The three important things, the reason I say they're important is because they apply to not only Jeremiah, they apply to us, 
and they apply to every person on the face of the earth. So the three important things are, before he was born, Jeremiah was known, Jeremiah was formed by God, and Jeremiah was given a purpose by God. So you may say, well, I have not had God speak directly to me and tell me that this is true of me. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what was specific to Jeremiah and what was specific to us. The direct revelation of God telling this to Jeremiah and telling him exactly what he was going to do is the part that is for Jeremiah. The fact that he was known, formed, and given purpose before he was born is not specific to Jeremiah. And so by extension, you were known by God, you were formed by God, and you were given a purpose by God all before you were born. And it's when you stop to think about that, that changes a lot of, of the way we think about not only ourselves, but every person we run into. It changes just our, our heart towards other people, maybe increases our patience in traffic a little bit, um, helps us be empathetic. But let's look at why, why, why did God say this to Jeremiah? And then let's look at how it applies to us. So the, the main reason that if you read the rest of Jeremiah, you see that he's He's given uh, some pretty tough stuff to do in Jeremiah, right? Um, and when he comes to Jeremiah, Jeremiah is young. And he needs that assurance that God is there with him and that God has designed him to do what he's going to put him through. And so we see it again in Isaiah. He does a similar thing with Isaiah. And throughout Isaiah... Isaiah keeps talking about it. Yeah, remember, God made me for this. That's why God created me. He, he, th this is what I'm built for. He says it again and again throughout. But the fact that... Um, the fact that Jeremiah was known by God, and so are you, how can we say that that's not just Jeremiah? Well, let's look at other instances besides Jeremiah and Isaiah. How about... Um, when God speaks to, to Rebecca, she is, um, she has Jacob and Esau in her womb, and there's a battle going on. And she goes, what in the world is going on? And God lays it out exactly what is happening. He talks about what their future is going to be, how he knows them. Now, these are babies that are still in the womb, and God lays it out. He knew those, those children. But let's also go to Psalm, Psalm 139. And before you read a psalm, a lot of times you'll look and there'll be something right above it. And I think this is important in this case. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I was sitting over here and we have some good singers. Their, their name is actually good over here. And... Uh, I would not be in that category, um, but the reason why we sing is so that we can rehearse truths and put them into our lives. 
We're to sing when we even don't when we don't feel like it. And it is so when this psalm was presented, it was a way to teach biblical truths to these people. And it says to the choir master, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are equipped with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And so, in verse 6, it goes on to say um, that you know me better than I know myself. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. So David says to God, you know me better than I even know myself. Now occasionally, as parents, we get instances where we know our children like better than themselves. I remember watching my daughter. She's 11 now, so that's no longer the case. I don't know her. She, she's some strange alien in my house. Um, but when she was uh, just beginning to walk, I could watch the back of her head and discern her thoughts. Her head would turn towards something it wasn't supposed to be, and then her body would lurch that direction. So you could just watch the back of her head and know what was going on. Ooh, touch, ooh, you know, break. Uh, and you could, you could see that. God knows us better than our parents knew us when we were young. And he knows us from the beginning. Notice that he knew us before we were even formed. That's hard to imagine. Before we were even in a form, he knew us. He knew Jeremiah that way. He knows us that way. So that means that he knew Jeremiah better than his mom, even when in the womb, right? Mothers have that special connection because the child is in their womb and nobody knows you like mama. Well, sorry, mama. God knows you better than that. And that's how we measure oftentimes how well somebody knows us. I have a friend, Darren, and I've known him since junior high, and that's how we talk about it. I've known them since the third grade. Well, do you have anybody who's known you since before you were born? No, you, only God. And there is a difference, we also need to think about, there's a difference between knowing and knowledge, right? I think Clint Eastwood is the greatest actor of all time, and you can disagree and be wrong about that, but if I were to say, hey, I know Clint Eastwood, right? You'd be like, wow, really? And I said, yeah, he was born in, you know, 1927, and he did this, and he was in these movies. You'd say, no, 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 you don't know Clint Eastwood. You have knowledge about him. You know about Clint Eastwood. That would be different than if I had a personal relationship. And what we're talking about here is knowing, right? And it doesn't elevate God that he knows us. It elevates us that God knows us, right? In the same, so if Clint Eastwood, if, if he started telling facts about Brian Current, boy, that would be something for me, you know, I'd be walking tall, five foot ten. That's right. And uh, so I, 
the fact that God, the creator of the universe, says he knows us, and he knows us intimately, better than anyone else, elevates us. It doesn't elevate him. There was, I was watching uh, some football games last weekend, and there was uh, music that came on during an Applebee's commercial. Um, so it was the Cheers music. I'm not going to sing it. They almost dragged me off the stage when I did it first, first service. But uh, there's a line that says, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Now, Applebee's, in order to sell riblets or whatever they have there, they are selling the idea that you're going to go someplace and there's going to be people there that know you. And that's a deep desire that's built into our hearts. We want to be known. It's part of the God-shaped vacuum that uh, Pascal describes. Wants us to be known. The other aspect is that Jeremiah was formed by God, right? There, the, I'm going to use my first and last Hebrew word because I did very poorly in Hebrew. Um, and that is yatsar. It means formed. It's the same word that they use in other places in the Old Testament where they talk about earthen vessels, right? And they say it was literally a jar formed of earth is, is the term. And the picture that is given is one of hands-on creation. Like, it isn't just something that... Um, was ordered or came about some other way, but that there is a craftsmanship that's to it. It's the same word used when it talks about God forming Adam out of the dust. Uh, it's the same word used by Job when he ascribes value to not only him, but his servants, when he says, we were both made by, by you, God. And it's... It's used at the end of Psalm 139 as fashion, and we'll, we'll see that as well. So notice the, 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 um, how it's described. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. So that's, that's almost an allusion to Adam's, uh, how Adam was formed right there. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written, every one of them, the days that you formed for me, when as yet none of them were. And I'm reminded of my father. My father does woodworking, and he does very intricate woodworking. Uh, he's made all the furniture in my parents' house, and he's good at it. He's a craftsman. I am not a craftsman. But for a wedding gift, I thought it would be good if my dad and I worked together on some end tables as a wedding gift to my wife. So we made solid cherry end tables, and they turned out well, mainly because he was there to make sure they weren't you know, lopsided, and, or he, he made sure they were well made. 
Now, the last week, my son got a remote control car for Christmas. And the only way to do a remote control car is at full blast around the house. So he's chasing the dog with this remote control car, and he ran it into the leg of one of these cherry tables. Now, it was well made, and it survived the crash, right? But I said to my son, I said, son, you can run it into the dining room table from Pottery Barn, or you can run it into the couch from Ikea. But whatever you do, please don't run it into the cherry tables that I made. Now, why is that? The reason is because it has more valuable, value to me because it was handcrafted and I was involved in it. God looks at you the same way. You are valuable to him and you have value not only because he was involved, but because of the way he was involved, right? Aren't you glad that you were not ordered from Ikea? God was personally involved in forming you, and that adds value. He is the ultimate craftsman. Jeremiah was also given a purpose by God, and his purpose was specifically spelled out here. He was to be a prophet, right? Now, I don't know your specific purpose, but what we're going to take a look at is the purpose that he's given every person in this room here today. There is a broader purpose. We often, we think about this more than you imagine. How often is the question, so what do you do? Right? The question about work. Or what did you do? Or what are you doing? The, sort of the question that we're asking is, what is the purpose that you serve in society? Now, we don't phrase it that way because that sounds pretty rude. Right? If we were to say, what's your purpose for being here? The, people would, that would be a short conversation, I imagine, most of the time. But God has given people a purpose. And it didn't come about before you know, when they discovered themselves at 40 or, or whatever age that is now, when you discover yourself, it came about before you were born. God has a purpose for you. Now, I'm going to use the cheat that uh, Paul did right here. Notice what Paul says. This is a weary pastor who's had to answer a lot of letters you know, is de dealing with bickering churches. And what about this situation? What about this? So he says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul gives us the answer here. The, our purpose in life is to give glory to God. We also see it in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? Answer. The chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now that catechism comes out of each part of that has eight verses when you look at the actual catechism that are referenced to each part of that. It is what the church has looked at and said throughout scripture, this is what it says the chief end of man is. And sometimes we get we confuse having a purpose with having abilities or certain talents. 
we think that somebody who is not at a certain level, well, they may not have purpose. That is the way the world looks at it. It looks at it as a utilitarian way. What is this person's purpose? Are they serving it? Okay, they're no longer serving it, so their, va- their life isn't valued as much. But that's not how God looks at it. Look how Jesus, even when he, he comes across a blind man who that, in that culture would not have been given value. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus gets right to his, the purpose that we share. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This blind man became somebody that we're talking about 2,000 years ago who displayed the glory of God. And it reminds me of somebody who um, is connected to our ministry. There is a, a woman, and her name is Susan, and Susan is blind. She has a, um, a guide dog. She lives by herself. Um, but she is a life ambassador. Life ambassadors for us, that's a term we use to describe people who help connect us to different churches. So she fulfills that role in her church. And when you talk to Susan, what you see is somebody glorifying God all the time. And we had a, we decided one day that um, we wanted to update our centers. We want our centers to be attractive as they can. So we were updating the waiting rooms. And uh, this was an aesthetic overhaul. Now, if, any, if anything should be lost on Susan, it would be what color the paint is and what the, what the chairs are like and what the, the flooring is like. But as Tom described the plan for this, Tom is our executive director and he makes those decisions. He was describing this plan that we had that we, were, we wanted to get funding for. Susan kept asking questions, and Tom was like, I don't know how to describe this to a blind person, but he, try, he did his best. Well, a couple days later, we get a check from Susan. And this is a check that we know that Susan can't afford because she lives on her own, and she... Um, She's not somebody who walks around with wealth. And so Tom called Susan and he goes, Susan, what is this? And, and she says, oh, I got, I got an inheritance the other day and I just prayed, where, God, where do you want me to send this? So she sent this, her entire inheritance that she received to us to pay for something that she could never see, literally. In that instance... Is she fulfilling her God-given purpose? Absolutely. She's bringing glory to God. And I want us to think about these three things again. And to think about it not only in terms of our life, but in terms of children that are in the womb. Because every baby is known by God. Every baby is formed by God. And every baby is given a purpose, all before they were born. And when we start to do that, when we start to view others 
in this fashion? When we look at somebody in our life and we think that person was known by God before they were born and he formed them just how they are. And he has got a purpose for them. Not only a purpose of bringing glory to God, but specific purposes for different people. It changes the way that we interact. It brings value. It, it elevates what human life is. And if you want to solve the problem of abortion, this is what people need to get in their hearts. This is what people need to experience. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we look at a big number and we see lots of individual instances. Instances where people turn their eyes from you. They didn't look at humanity in their own life the way that you look at it. Lord, one day we're going to stand before you and we're going to give an account. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that we will be somebody that reflects your glory and sees it in other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.